0: Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. This episode is sponsored by Scriptrunner. If you use PowerShell in your organization, you should check out their free PowerShell security ebook. It contains everything you need to know about PowerShell security. Check that out on scriptrunner.com. My name is Tobias, and I'm back again with UC. What's up?
1: Hey, Tobias. We spent the weekend visiting extended family outside the capital area. And on Sunday, we felt, well, it's a nice weather. Uh, so let's, let's go and see the local amusement park with the kids. Uh, it's something we go every year. The kids each year grow a bit, so they enjoy it more and more. But something interesting happened uh, while we were walking to the entrance. So you park the car and it's, it's, it's roughly a one kilometer walk. I saw a family of four ahead of us. They, they were sort of stopped and uh, two two kids, two, two adults. And the younger kid was perhaps eight. And and it seemed the kid was clearly frustrated with something. And and he sort of kicked his dad, not not like kick, kick, but more, but more like in in, in a tempered frustration, sort of physically showed that he was unhappy with something. And I didn't pay much attention on this. But once we passed them. I heard a sort of a scream, so I turned back, and what happens? The mom is, is yanking the kid's ear, you know, like in this old-fashioned way. Mm-hmm. And she was yanking it so hard, I, I thought the ear would, would be pulled off. So I stepped in, I, I, I sort of firmly but sort of politely asked her to stop, and, and, and the whole family looks at me sort of like, why are you interfering with our family business? And I, I see it's continuing. I ask again and say, you really need to stop that now. This is not how you treat your kids in 2022. And the family tells me that the mom tells me that, well, you can call the police if you want to, but this is, this is our family business. So I, st- I take one step forward and say, yeah, you really need to stop now, uh, which she finally finally does. And, and the whole situation sort of diffuses here. And... We carried on, we went in and we didn't see the family later on, but it's been a couple of days now and and I'm still sort of processing this a bit. Like, so so how do you come up with this sort of a solution? And at the same time, what sort of underlying problems or, or challenges have to happen in order for this to be normal at the same time? And I also realized there's not much I could have done beyond calling somebody or, or that's mostly it. But this, this is the first time in, in, in 20 years I'm seeing something like this. And, and it's interesting. We had a really nice day at the amusement park, but this was sort of in the back of my head thinking that's why and how, and could there be something you could do to stop this from happening in the future? But I figured, well, no, not, not, not really anything I can do in my power. So that's been top of mind for me.
0: Yeah. That's pretty interesting. And yeah, you don't see that often. It, back in the day, also here in Sweden, it was a common thing to draw your which is like pull your ear. So yep. if you were a naughty child, you would pull the ears. But but we're talking about 40 years ago. Exactly. Like a long yeah. time ago, not 2022, because at some point they even changed the law saying that obviously child abuse is illegal, uh, which was not in the law previously. So I don't know when that happened, but for the longest of time and, and my entire life, I believe, and that's been illegal. So it's not something that I've ever seen either up close or on a distance. So I can only imagine how this is to kind of watch, but I think you handle that the, the right way. There is no, you cannot do anything else. You cannot physically engage in a way. You can just ask them to stop, otherwise call the, call the cops and they have to figure things out and then determine if there are additional measures they need to take to ensure that these children remain safe for the rest of their lives and things like that.
1: Exactly. Uh, it's, it sort of is interesting, but at the same time, it's sad also to see people behaving so differently on what you would expect as a parent to, to treat your kids or anybody else's kids. So you, you don't want to see it. Yeah, exactly. So what's been up with you? Hopefully something a bit more positive.
0: Yeah. No kids injured during my last few days. I've been designing my outdoor shower and it's not as easy as I imagined. And if you're a regular uh, listener to the show, you know, we've talked a lot about both of our different house projects that we have going on. I have my super small garden, my super small house, 50 years old. We have renovated a bit. And now I'm in the garden trying to figure out how to build a small jacuzzi, uh, you can find pretty affordable jacuzzis these days and a wooden deck around it. And then I want an outdoor shower because we only have one shower indoors. So, and I have two girls and Helena, my, my better half. So I have three ladies inside with one shower, which means I am the last priority to actually get access to that room, to that shower. So I am building <laughs> one outside so I can, so I can go almost year around into the garden to, to have my shower. But It's pretty tricky, perhaps mostly because of the design for this, you know, the size we have. It's a small garden. And the design you want to have like, do you want it to look like an art piece? Do you want it to just be functional? Do you want it to be a mix? Or like, where do you draw the line for what you actually want? So, hopefully, I can build something now in the coming weeks after drawing to me inspiration. Because I just need to make a decision on what type I want to construct. And I can easily build it myself because it's just a a bunch of wooden planks and poles and whatever. You can do some pretty cool things. But the options of what I can do, I went on Google and I searched outdoor shower or garden shower and I selected image results only. And there are like 600 million results. And I take a look, just 20 different ones. And it's like, I, I want all of these for different reasons but I have to select one type and, and build it. So a lot of thoughts going into what I want for myself because I want to treat myself now when we finally are getting ready with the house. I want to have this experience of the outdoor shower, perhaps mostly because I will not get access to the indoor shower. So yeah, I've it's, it's been struggling a bit with uh, what kind of design I want to put here. But at the same time, I realize I am getting so much energy from this because it's fully analog I go out into the garden with my measuring tool and I can like just lay it on the ground and I put a pin down and a pin over here and a a line in between them and I can draw things up pull a piece of paper and make a sketch and like I do everything analog uh, except for like the notes I put them into one note so I know what to order when I when I need to order it so it's a very nice exercise but the decision is tough like, what do you actually want to build, which doesn't really matter. I can build something in, in five years when you realize I want something different. You can just build something different. But at the same time, it's what like when you build a, a proper like cloud native solution, you want to think about all the things ahead. Like we talked about the well-architected framework and things like this recently. You want to think about things ahead, even if you're not going to build it right now. You want to think about the trade-offs you're making. You want to think about like the checklist, if you will, of things that you need or might need in the coming years so you don't kind of design something that you have to then reconstruct. Uh, so I see similarities with my line of work, but fully analog, and I'm getting a lot of energy out of it. So it's pretty cool. So simple project.
1: Could I, could I perhaps suggest this sort of an agile approach because we're so close to summer, Just get something done now, get the experience, and then rebuild it for next year. So get a plastic bag, fill it with water, put it hanging, use a small pocket knife, stab a hole, you have your shower.
0: Uh, Funny side note here, because again, if you're a regular listener, you know I go a lot into the woods camping. I have a portable outdoor shower already, which is exactly that. It's a um, plastic bag, but it's of good material. And there's a small hose coming down with uh, a bunch of holes in it. So I can go to a lake, I can collect water and then I can filter the water and, and clarify it and put it into the bag, put it into the sun for a few hours. And then the bag has this material that it heats up the water and then I have a hot shower in the middle of the woods. But that that's for another time. So I, I do have the temporary solutions, but it's not good enough.
1: <laughs> All righty. So, so today's episode is about F5 Engine X on Azure. What, why, and... So the F5 Engine X support for Azure was announced during Microsoft Build in, in late May 2022. And it's it's natively available in preview now. It's a public preview, so anybody can try that out. And And it used to be available on Azure before, but that was a compute-based solution, meaning that you're essentially provisioning a virtual machine. So... F5 NGINX, Toby, are you familiar with this family of products and capabilities?
0: I am um, not an expert, but I have come across it because I've, I've worked a lot with Docker and Docker images and hosting different types of solutions running in different types of containers. And there are plenty of Docker containers prepared with NGINX, which is kind of like a load balancer proxy web server kind of thing. So, for example, I know that my blog that is running with quite some traffic, this is hosted on Ghost Pro, and they also use Nginx as the load balancer and underlying server. Uh, For several things that I've worked with in the past, Nginx has also been kind of the entry point for the web application. But that's the extent of my knowledge. I've always used a ready-made image, used the defaults, made a few configurations, and then put it up to good use. I'd never actually run this in production myself because most of the services I rely on, they have load balancing built in or we've used a different type of load balancer. So that, that's kind of the extent of my knowledge here. Is that about right?
1: Yeah, it's, it's about right. And the funny thing is that if you are not a native English speaker, when you see something like Engine X written, you never say that out aloud. So, so you're sort of just saying the name in your head and you don't know how to pronounce it, what's the correct way? So for the longest of times when I would see i I'm not sure how I was thinking it should be pronounced, but for me, it was like N-G-I-N-X. And then I actually had to go to YouTube before we started recording this episode <laughs> to, to verify. So how do you pronounce this again? So it's N-G-I-N-X. Which obviously makes perfect sense, but since you write it N-G-I-N-X, it doesn't make any sense for a non-native speaker. Was, was this the same for you? Did you already know how to pronounce this?
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, of course I knew how to pronounce it. Oh, of course. Uh, because you pronounce it like <laughs> Nynx. <ninks. laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's how you pronounce it, Nynx. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that's what I read, you know, with my Swedish brain. It's like, uh, so this is Nynx. And, and that's what I said. Of course, I had to look it up. But I, yeah, for the longest of time, inside of my head only, I never said it out loud. Inside of my head, this was called uh, Nginx. And then someone tell, told me, so we've got this Nginx. And I'm like, what is that? <laughs> oh, the thing I've been working on for six months. Yeah,
1: okay. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. That's the one. So, so it's, it's a web server. It can be a reverse proxy and a load balancer as well. So in, in a way, it's a bit like web app firewall an application gateway rolled into one. And obviously often if you're native on Azure, uh, you might use web app firewall and, and that's it. But now you have another option. So, so previously, of course, you could deploy something from Palo Alto or the F5 big IP firewall setups and, and appliances. But most, if not all of those are compute-based solutions, which means that you're deploying virtual machine and then if you need to scale you're spinning up additional vms and and you get this sort of non-elasticity the as part of the deal and and ideally you'd you'd, you'd like to go cloud native in a way so something more platform as a service so this is now available in public preview and uh, a couple of core features for this so once you set this up You can authenticate and authorize traffic with JSON web tokens. It's a bit the same as with API management, what you would do. So instead of anybody calling for your exposed services through the F5 NGINX, you can also authenticate and authorize traffic. Beyond this, you can do routing, health checks, and that's about it. So in in a way, on the surface, it's super simple. But at the same time, depending on how you configure it, it starts to sort of reveal and expose additional complexity in the configuration. Would you, would you agree on, 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 on the features, or are you perhaps expecting or using this in your mind for something else?
0: So I'm, what I'm thinking is, like, if, if we now have this F5 Nginx and Azure um As a service, there has to be some benefit as opposed to just pulling a container image and plugging that into an Azure container instance or a a small Kube cluster or an um, Azure compute service or um, Azure container app uh, or an Azure app service as a container. There has to be, of course, a benefit, I think. And so I'm thinking here, what is the added value? All the features you listed, these are core features of, Uh, nginx but surely they're like on the management plane something in azure has to be extended here and i'm guessing this is the benefit of using it as a managed service or or a service like that that you get surely you have to have app insights or monitoring somehow surely you have to have an ease of configuration how do you deal with secrets how do you do these things i'm i'm thinking this has to be part of the service somehow, or otherwise, what's the benefit of, of using it as a, as a service as opposed to just spinning up a cluster?
1: Good, good point. Um, so there's native Azure monitor support, which I think is sort of a core requirement for any service nowadays that you spin up in Azure. And for any of the keys and secrets that you have, there's Azure Key Vault support, Uh, To my knowledge, and I did go through all of the documentation from F5 and also all of the documentation from Microsoft on on the service. To my knowledge, no native support for App Insights. And this is not to say you couldn't build the support yourself with the configuration capabilities, but perhaps you'd ideally do this on on an app service level instead of, of the F5 level. So... Provisioning this, super easy. You go to Azure portal, you go to marketplace, you click on F5 Nginx. The only things you really need is a VNet and the VNet has to have a subnet. So you deploy this to uh, to a VNet and, and and the selected subnet, and it's bound there. And now you can start routing traffic as you like. But since this is in public preview, When I was setting this up for a quick test, because I didn't really know F5 Nginx, that that intimately, I I wanted to see how it works on top of Azure. The regions that are available in preview are East US 2, West US, West Central US, and Australia East. Nothing in Europe. Are you using any of these normally?
0: Um, I've, I've used Central US and Australia ETH quite a bit, actually, uh, because running distributed workloads uh, across the globe with customers from all over the world uh, who wants to access the solutions from their closest location, of course, with lower latency and better performance, things like that, that, you know, then we deploy things into data centers closer to them, which, is, which makes sense. But main deployments we do is in... West Europe, as always. This has, you know, since the the dawn of times uh, in, in Asher, when you're in Europe, West Europe has been like the golden standard. That's where things happen. That's usually where the first previews hit as well, before they even come to North Europe and to other locations within Europe. So I'm a bit surprised that it's not part of that. But at the same time, it's a preview. Whenever that rolls out in GA, I'm sure we'll have this globally rolled out.
1: Agreed.'m I'm, I'm now thinking, looking at the list of the available regions. I'm now thinking perhaps this has something to do with the EU privacy laws or some other restriction, because technically there's nothing that's stopping from having the F5 nginx running in West Europe or North Europe. For configuration, so once you set it up, you select the Vnet, you select the subnet. Uh, configuration takes about two minutes or provisioning takes about two minutes and configuration does take longer. Azure portal does not have much on this. You have three buttons, manage, NGINX config, manage certificates, and manage monitoring. None of these work initially. So you have to have a managed identity. You go and create that first, you allocate that for the instance, and then you can do configuration changes, You can point to certificates and keys in Key Vault and you can actually get some data through Azure Monitor. But let's perhaps focus on the config because that's the key to actually getting this up and running. So there's nothing graphical to configure NGINX on Azure. All configuration happens to a config file. You can have one or multiple. And those can be either JavaScript or the NGINX config syntax which looks a bit like javascript but it's not and you can do the configuration in an embedded visual studio code in azure portal and you just come up with the configuration file name from the top of your head and assuming it doesn't exist already it will be created for you so the approach here is that you type in your config for the whole firewall web server reverse proxy load balancer or you introduce that from GitHub and you use GitHub Actions that whenever there's an update, they will, they will push that to your instance. So any thoughts on this? And, and if you've worked on this, have you have you tried the, the configuration syntax or the JavaScript-based one? Um,
0: I, I haven't done that with, uh, with Nginx and, and the service, but I really like the simplicity, like the, the config and pulling a managed identity to it, which coming back to what we talked before, if if this is now a service in Azure, there has to be something more than just running the service. And, and of course, this is a key part, managed identities being tied to it. You can use role-based access control and you can decide, you know, whatever this thing gets access to and, and what identity it's going to run under. So if it needs to perform some type of action that you can grant the more granular permissions that way. Um, super cool. Um I haven't used slightly embedded VS Code instance in the Azure portal very much. Um, so I'm, I'm not deeply familiar with how you do the config for Nginx and things like that. I've mainly stood up the ones we had programmatically and then it's just been running. So I, I have yet to take a look how, how this actually works, but I do like the integration to, uh, to use um, GitHub CI CD pipelines with GitHub Actions simplifies a lot. You can then programmatically or uh, by your infrastructure as code, if you will, define and design things. And then that will then apply um, to, to the build or to the service. Um, so I, I kind of like that. I like the idea here, but I don't have much thoughts beyond, okay, this might simplify if I need to use this myself. Um, for my, My personal use cases and the use cases of the things we have deployed, we have Azure App Services, Gateway, uh, Azure Front Door, things like that, which is taking care of load balancing and things like that for us. So we don't have that need. But now seeing this, you can plug Nginx or Nginx, (laughs) if you will, uh, in front of whatever you want, right? So If you have an API, if you have a, a website, if you have something built not on Azure, not hosted in Azure, built on something else, you can still use a load balancer in, in, in the sense. Uh, so it doesn't have to be a .NET app that you deploy to app service, but you can deploy whatever app you have here and, and let this run as a, uh, as a web server or just use the load balancer or reverse proxy thing, but with a simplified, hopefully simplified configuration and maintenance. But again, haven't taken it for a spin. I like the promise here. I like this idea. And I do like that we had this episode where you kind of walked us through these things um, because I haven't taken a, a deeper look at this, but I do know there's a lot of people who might find this interesting. Already now, I'm thinking of a few use cases where I at least want to put it to, to the test, perhaps a proof of concept or, or a small uh, side pilot project um, to take a look if it can replace some of the things I have. But... Yeah, nothing more than that. I think it's a fairly simple idea, fairly simple service, but with a huge impact because the entire world is using Nginx, right? So with this, I think the breadth of customers who can adopt it is just growing significantly and Microsoft is opening the doors to a lot more players on the market who can now look to Azure for load balancing and web server and reverse proxy needs as well.
1: I I tried the the configuration from scratch and there's a bit of an intelligence in there, but it's not really that helpful. So I needed to go to GitHub to see find find some some samples on the nginx config syntax. And in essence, to to have the instance say anything when you, when you when you query it with HTTP is uh, you expose an HTTP endpoint. You say. I have a server, it's listening on port 80, the location, what it's serving is this and this file or this and this IP address or this and this app service. And that's it. So in in a way you can do these one-liners, if you will, with with all of the configurations. And, And what I did try is I wanted to have the NGINX instance say, hello world, when I just do an HTTP GETS over port 80. And you can get that up and running in five minutes. So whenever you change the config, it takes about 30 seconds for the instance to pick that up after you hit save in the, in the VS Code instance. What I then tried, and this is something I often do, is that when I'm emitting or outputting HTML, I often add an emoji in there. So on Windows 10 and 11, you, you press win key, period. You get the emoji keyboard. I just add something in the HTML to see how it works. And yeah, that doesn't really work on the NGINX. The, the whole instance sort of froze and it got stuck for about five minutes trying to update the config file. And you can't do anything. If you navigate away, it discards all of the changes you did and you're back to an empty config file again. So it sort of told me that, yeah, perhaps you want to have version control. Perhaps you want to have something more robust than using the Azure portal. You just put in whatever config and hitting save and hoping that it works.
0: All things are good to try out emojis in URLs, domain names, in HTTP requests. Uh, I don't know. Maybe not the place. Uh, good that you tried it. Good that you know. Perhaps you can avoid it if you start using it.
1: Yeah. So on monitoring, we already spoke about this. But once you have the instance up and running and and you you incur a bit of traffic, then you get regular statistics, SSL stats, connection stats, request response objects, upstream stats, which means whatever you're exposing, but that's it. So so there's about six dimensions in Azure Monitor and and you have to live with those. But I think that's everything that the NGINX by default is, is giving out. So the last bit is on pricing. And we often talk about pricing just to sort of put this into perspective. And this is surprisingly cheap. So when you provision the NGINX in in public preview, you are provisioning one capacity unit. And the price for that capacity unit per hour is four cents in euro. So that's about 35 euro per month. I think that's about, what, $45 a month. On top of this, you pay for for data that goes to uh, the NGINX instance, And that is, I actually have to look really closely. It's 0.009 euro per gigabytes. So not much. You cannot change the skew. There's a couple of other skews. I saw those from the ARM template, but you cannot change that. It just breaks. So perhaps we can expect to get more premium offerings in the future. For the preview for now, this is the price. 35 euro a month plus data, that's it. Nothing too complex, in my opinion. How do you see this?
0: I think uh, simple pricing is good, as long as you can kind of estimate this for for a month. Like if I run at this capacity for, for a full month, what will the price be? the only thing i don't like in life is surprises when it comes to cost as we talked about i guess in several episodes cost management is important if you don't have this you know under control it can easily spin out i don't see that happening here so if you have 35 bucks a month for this that's okay of course if you have hundreds of millions of hits on your website this you know the the data and the capacity might go up But then, of course, if you have that kind of traffic, you never expect 35 bucks a month to be the price. So I think the the price is fair. The price is simple if you need something like this. On the other hand, if you do spin up a container with an NGINX image and you do all the config yourself and do all the setup yourself, you might uh, get it even cheaper, depending on where you host it, of course. But I think this sounds good. It sounds like a reasonable setup where you don't have to think about you know, setting everything up and, and operating it in that sense. So, this is also one of the trade offs I think we always talk about. it. cost optimization is important to lower the cost. But if I pay 10 euros more a month, but don't have to lift a finger, worth it, right? Because otherwise, if I do lift that finger several times and I have to spend a couple of hours, then we're talking about several hundreds of euros of wasted uh, kind of money. If, if you're a consultant or, you know, calculating your hourly rate. Would be a lot of money wasted. So another ten euros for a managed service, sure. That's you know, it's not even a, uh, something you have to think about in my book. Anything that helps save and simplify the lives of everyone operating this, it's a good investment. So
1: cool, cool, and um, that's it. It's it's fairly simple to set up as 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 long as you know which vnet and the subnet to deploy it to. And then you spend most of your time on the configuration and testing. That's it. No other moving parts, at least for now, perhaps in the future when we go to get more SKUs, hopefully. Alrighty, the last thing, the unexpected question. And I am trying to keep records here. So this week, Toby, I will be asking you the unexpected question. Are you ready? Let's go. What's the best TV series in the past five years or so? you would recommend everyone to watch?
0: Okay, this is, a, this is a very good question. I don't watch a lot of shows. I don't watch a lot of TV at all, to be honest. But when I do, it's usually Netflix or something like this and, and or HBO or whatever it is. There's a bunch of different things. There's, in the last five years, there's one show in particular that I absolutely love. It's Westworld. If you have not seen it, I would recommend watching it. Do bear, you know, just go through the first three episodes and then decide whether or not you want to continue. Don't stop at episode one or two. Just take a few more episodes to make a decision whether you like it or not. It can be a bit slow in the beginning. Uh, But this is like the kind of intelligent, deep thinking type of science fiction. You just don't see that these days. You know, it's like with Star Trek. There's this new Star Trek series and the, and the Picard series and things like that. It's a bunch of lasers, it's a bunch of action, but there's not a lot of thought, at least to me, there's not a lot of thought going into it. Like There's, there's a storyline, but it's pretty basic, pretty simple. And sure, this storyline is cool if you like Star Trek in that case or, or whatever other sci-fi. For Westworld, it's a mix of a lot of things, um, like AI and or if you're curious about AI becoming sentient, if, if you know what happens when robots get sentient life, or when when robots become aware of their own existence, what will they do? Things like that. So, it's Westworld is by far one of the best shows I've watched in a very long time, um, and I think one of the things my my takeaway with this show, uh, I'm not going to talk about the contents of the show, but like my experience of the show is put your phone down, put your tablets down, put everything down. If you have kids, wait until they're asleep because you will need your full brain power to watch this. You, it's not one of those shows you go uh, when you watch Friends, you know, which went on for, I don't know, 10, 15 years on, on, as a sitcom. It's not like that. You go watch and you can focus on something else and then laugh a little bit. You have to pay attention to every single detail that happens in this show, and it's excellent. They have executed this with grandeur. I am absolutely in love with this show. I think they're coming in on season four or five, something that comes out this year, I think in July, if I'm not mistaken, or late June. And I'm really looking forward to that. But main takeaway is don't be distracted when you watch the show. If you have people awake or people disturbing you, just wait, watch it whenever you can. In silence and solitude, just take the time and don't binge. Do not binge watch this show. Watch one episode and then let that process because you will need to think and reflect a little bit on what just happened. Because in the next episode, there's going to be so many things happening that you may or not may be aware of. There are so many subliminal things going on, so, so many small details that you will only realize seven episodes later oh, that's why this super small detail happened that nobody understood, right? So if you just kind of casually watch it, you were going to miss a lot of things. If you do want this deep thinking, science fiction type uh, of show, that is, and I can wholeheartedly recommend this one. I absolutely love it. And I do not say that about a lot of things, um, about a lot of shows, at least. Take the time, watch it. Just to extend the answer a little bit. So Westworld, number one answer Number two answer, it's not in the last five years, but the best show I have watched ever in my life is Lost. And I know that there will be a lot of lovers here saying, yeah, and the other camp is going to be the haters saying, that's the dumbest thing I've heard in my life. <laughs> so Either you hate it or you, or you love it. And I, for Lost, it's one of the only shows that I actually watched every single episode except for Westworld and Game of Thrones, I think. And Lost was also this kind of show where you never knew what to expect in the coming episode because it was so crazy and they just went bananas and, but I think in a good way and I, I also heard that there was a writer strike in the middle of that they just changed direction of the entire show because it was new writers coming in which obviously changed a lot but to me it was great right? It was super strange in a lot of ways but you never knew what to expect every episode was different Always something unexpected, always a surprise. And you always were left with more questions than answers. And I think this is for me why it's an interesting show. I don't want one of those sitcoms where you start and end an episode with a full story. I just, I want this long storyline where you have a lot of questions being figured out, but you get equally or even more questions asked in every episode. And then you have to reflect for a week. Why this? Why why What is that? Why is that number there? What is this? Why is there a button? Why, why does that happen? That's what I love about a show. We have that with Westworld to some degree as well, where you have this very long storyline and each episode builds on the longer storyline. And it's a super complex uh, kind of setup and the delivery is super cool. And of course, Anthony Hopkins is also part of Westworld. So that makes it even better. But anyway, that was a long answer to a short question, and I don't watch a lot of shows, but the three ones I just mentioned, which is number one, Westworld, and then Lost, and then Game of Thrones, these are the three shows I actually like. Everything else is just noise or something to kill time. These shows, really good, according to me. And I might have undermined all my opinions by saying Lost, and I realized that.
1: I I think I gave up with Westworld after episode three in season one. It was one of those never ending episodes, I think. And I was like, yeah, I don't have time for this. But now when you explain it like this, I might give it a chance again, (laughs) especially if there's multiple seasons now and if it picks up, let's see how that goes. All all righty. Thank you for joining uh, on our talk on F5 Engine X and... uh, We'll come back next week with something else.
0: All right. See you then.